The more time you have to invest, the better your chances of coming out with your goal. for Render My Money 2022 Session 4. Well, I want to welcome everyone to the Render My Money Financial Empowerment classes. This is our fourth class, and today we're going to get in the discussion about investing. And, you know, it is the most exciting part of your financial journey because it's the time when you allow your money to work for you. So I always like to start with a recap because... In order to have a successful investment experience, you have to make sure you have all the foundational things in place because you can do everything right. But what we're going to learn as we go on that through investing, there are some elements in the equation that are very important. And we're going to see how it really, really affects the return and how you come out in. And one of those things is time. The more time you have to invest, the better your chances of coming out with your goal. The shorter amount of time you have to invest, and we're talking about investing in the stock market, the shorter time you have to invest, the more difficult it is because it doesn't allow for a lot of things that you experience that we see going on every day. The fluctuation of the marketplace. You know, sometimes it's high, sometimes it's low. So you want to be able to ride those things out and your planning will determine how well you do that. So let's recap the first slide. Let's recap the first six steps that we've learned so far. Okay, so step one was the vision statement. Again, in life, whether it's business, personal, financial, you have to have an idea, even traveling or going to the store. You have to have an idea where you want to go. So your vision statement is the first thing we did. The second thing we did was a budget. We want to get an idea where we are and then we want to take control and direct our money. The third thing was Once we get that budget done, we were going to force ourselves to do whatever it took to raise a thousand dollars as an emergency fund. Because one thing we're going to find about investing, the factor of interest and time determines the return. The higher the interest rate, it affects the term. The more time you invest it, it affects the return. So it's really important we understand that. We get that emergency fund. So now we can focus on doing the things so we allow to maximize both time and investment. So once you get that thousand dollar emergency fund, you're going to do what? Pay off all your debt. Debt is the biggest, biggest deterrent when it comes to investing. And it's so funny because Americans, by large, don't think about saving or investing, but everybody's okay with debt. And I'm going to give some examples later on how the debt side shows just how much you're paying and taking away from your future when you carry debt. That's why, you know, Dave Ramsey and myself, I've always had a hate for debt because I always felt like I owe somebody. And when you owe somebody, you're obligated. And I don't like being obligated. I like to do things out of the goodness and because I want to do it. But I'm going to do things because I have to do it especially the things that I can avoid and really doesn't have a positive uh, effect in your life. You know, some people say, well, debt is good if I'm going into business. Yeah, that's true. But there's a greater chance that you're going to have a more difficult time managing that and really can determine if you carry too much debt, it can kill your opportunity for your business. So we're going to pay off all our debt, except our home mortgage. And then we're going to save what? Three to six months of expenses. We talked about this. Why? Because when you start investing, whether it's in your 401k, especially your 401k or your IRA, which is the individual retirement account, the last thing you want to do is have to go in there and pull money out. That's the last thing. Why? Because first, there are penalties. Second, you have to pay taxes. So a lot of times people feel like they're in a bind from a circumstance of life. Some things are unexpected and tragic. You really have to do it. But most of them are more emotional decisions, you know, and people like to say, you know, this is my life and I want to live my life. And when you hear people talking like that, when they start talking about money, those are people who carry a lot of debt. Oh, I'm going to enjoy my life. You know, they always talk about, you know, what good is it if I leave here and I can have money saved up? But what good is it if you don't leave here and you have no money? <laughs> See, nobody think about that or not at the present, you know. And step six, where we are now, 
is to save for retirement. So you got your three to six months. You do that because that's the money you put in a money market account or a savings account that you take care of your emergencies. Three to six months would have helped you through the pandemic because this pandemic was really funded by the government. So if you had three to six months expenses, you could have waited out that time period for them to come with all of the assistance things. You don't have to pay the bills and they've subsidized your salaries of your job. So all those things, you would have been able to take care of it. The people who were in trouble in the food lines, the people who didn't have three to six months expenses, people were in the food line two weeks after the pandemic or after their last check. So the three to six months is imperative. So once you have three to six months, next slide, what do you want to do? Well, once you have your three to six months, now it's time and you have your budget and you're out of debt. Now it's time for you to focus on now having your money work for you and increase your net worth, increase your ability to retire comfortably, increase your ability not to have worries about how you're going to survive if something happens to your job or if something happens to your spouse. All these things are important because investing in America, we have the stock market. And the great thing about the stock market is historically the stock market has gone up more times than it's gone down. And in fact, the S&P 500 gained in value in 40 of the last 50 years, generated an average annualized return of 10%. And that's considered even a lot of those years, the average was not over 10%. So, you know, you think back to 2008 and a lot of people, we had the mortgage backed security crisis. A lot of people went and looked at their 401k and said, oh, my goodness, my 401k has just been cut in half. I'm broke. And they're 45 years old. You can't use your 401k till you're 60. So when you think about it, there are going to be three elements they didn't understand. And I'm going to talk about that later. One of those elements is how much time do you have before you need to use the money you've invested? That's something you have to write down. You have to know that because you have to curtail your investments to follow how close you are to needing the money. Why? Because that allows you to manage risk. And what you say risk is, risk is the same no matter what it is. No matter if it's riding a horse, the risk of Riding a motorcycle, the risk is what are you willing to lose by making this decision? That's what risk is. What are you willing to lose by making this decision? And when we think about people who go to Las Vegas, right? And you think about the crap table, right? So I know we're in the church, so nobody here ever shot dice, so I'm going to explain it to you. <laughs> I want to always say. <laughs> but craps is a game where you roll the dice, right? And the guy who's the shooter on the first roll, he's rolling for a 7 or 11. So he rolls 7-11 on his first roll, he wins. Now, if he rolls a different number on his first roll, if it's snake eye, which is 2, you get to get your point. And your point is whatever you roll. So if I'm sitting there rolling, and I don't roll a snake eye, and I don't roll a 7, and I don't roll 11, but I roll a 4. Now, 4 is my point. So that means the next time I roll, I have to roll a four before I roll a 7-Eleven. So here's the risk. Every time I step up there, my money's on the table. If I don't roll a 7-Eleven, I get to roll again if I don't roll double snake eyes, two. But the point is that if I roll that snake eye, I'm out. So I get my point next time. So I got two rolls now. Next time I roll, I got my points of four. I roll, if I roll a 7-Eleven or don't roll my point, I'm out. And each time you think about that, that's how risky it is, because that means I got more chances to mess up than not to win. But I got more chance to mess up because I got to keep rolling to win. I got to hit one number after the first roll. That's the only way I win. You understand? Now, there are some side bets you play in Vegas, which is complicated, you know, and that's not where I really learned it, because, you know, you learn playing basketball in high school. But in Vegas, they got all other ways because they understand the odds. And they fix the odds to be on their side. So in investing, we have to stop thinking about getting to the point where I can double my money by rolling my 7-Eleven, but I can lose my money if I roll Snake Eye. Or I can lose my money if I don't roll my point. And that's how we think about investing because we hear the stories of people 
come into the market and buy a great stock and the stock rise up overnight. And then you say, wow, I wish I could do that. But the stock market is designed for long term. So you know how much time you need before you need your money and you plan accordingly. So we invest in the stock market simply because it's been proven over years to do well. But what are you buying when you buy in the stock market? You are buying the companies that we all patronize, right? Somebody's patronized. You can buy Pfizer. You can buy General Motors. And you see these cars. It allows you to have ownership. You become an owner in a company when you buy stock. So what's the downside of stock? It's mostly emotional. It's mostly emotional because there is a risk. So right now we see there's a global incident with the whole thing in the Ukraine, right? Everybody's talking about Ukraine. Everybody's talking about Putin. But when Putin first invaded the Ukraine, what happened to the market? The first week it went down. Now, people who buy stuff from Amazon, did your UPS truck stop running because Putin invaded? Did Publix all of a sudden close their doors? Did Delta stop flying their planes? So when you think about it, you have to think about the stock market as your opportunity to own a company, right? And if you own a company, would you sell that company because of something exterior happened? If you had the best soul food restaurant in Atlanta and Putin invades Ukraine, would you come outside the next day and say, oh, Lord, I'm selling my restaurant? No, because you have a business. So when we invest, we're doing the same thing. We're buying a business. So next slide. What is the idea of the return and what we're talking about when we're talking about investing? I'm not going to get into a lot of strategy. I'm going to do it on part two. But when you talk, think about investing, we always think that I have to have a lot of money to invest. Oh, I need so much money to invest. I don't make enough. And you're going to find if you ever take all of your debt and add up the interest you're paying, that's where your opportunity for investing goes. That's why we want you to get out of debt. And don't be so eager to go in debt. You should go in debt kicking and screaming as a last resort. But assuming you made $35,000 a year, right? We take a person made $35,000 a year and they work for 30 years, which was 30 years from now would be 92, but I'm going to start the end of last year, which was 1991. That's crazy. That's 30 years ago, 1991, right? So if you invested in the S&P, this is no fancy stuff. We're going to talk about index funds and what that is. But if you invested in the S&P 500 index, which is the top 500 stocks that are widely held and have what's called the highest market capitalization. We're going to explain what that is, too. But just 500 stocks you're buying. The biggest stocks held by the most people. Just like if you went to the store and you didn't know what to buy, you look around here by the cart and you saw what they had and you say, I'm about what I see most people have that I'm going to need. You don't know what you need, so you buy. That's what this is with the stock. It's like buying the top widely held companies. These are big companies and pretty successful, right? So if you'd have done that at age 25, that's when, because you're retiring at 65, right? And you decide, I'm going to. Do I came in to render my money class. I'm going to save 15% of my money. And I'm not going to take any debt. Now, you're only making $35,000 a year. That's all you're making. And we're going to talk about needs and wants. But you said, I don't care what I got to do. This is what I'm going to do. So that equates to $5,250 a year you'll be saving, which is $437.50 per month. Now, how many of you all have had a car note around $400? Right? 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 So you had $400, right? You had $400. <laughs> so that's not a lot, right? That's not a lot. So if you had gotten to, you was working at Home Depot. Now, this is a bad example because if you're doing this Home Depot in 1991, you'd be a multi, multi-millionaire now. So I'm going to use somebody else. Let me say, you're working at the post office and you're just making $35,000. You took your 15%. Well, when you got ready to retire, you're going to have a million fifty dollars. And that's doing absolutely nothing but buying the S&P 500. You weren't paying any taxes. You didn't have to pay any expenses. You're just putting it in your account and letting it grow. Didn't touch it. So what can you do with a million dollars at retirement? You can easily, you can easily, now you're making $35,000 a year, but you can easily live off 5% of a million dollar loan without the million dollars ever going down. So you can live off $50,000 a year. You would have got a raise at retirement. Okay, now... What are some other things people talk about investing? Some people are, are a little nervous, so they decide 
they want to invest in treasuries, right? Right? So in treasuries, I got a typo. I stand corrected. You would not have a million. You would have $928,000. That's what you have if you invest that $5,000. $928,000, which is almost a million, right? Would you take that? But still, still, still. Let's, let's go back. Let me correct that now. So $928,000 you'd have had, you could easily get a raise because now you can live off 5% of that, which is about $45,000 a year. So you didn't get 50, but you're going to get 45, okay? But if you say, okay, I'm scared of the stock market, so I'm going to buy U.S. Treasuries. What are U.S. Treasuries? Those, when y'all hear the debt ceiling crisis, that was the United States. Those are U.S. Treasury bonds, and those are documents which are basically loans that other countries buy to put their money in the U.S. So China is probably the highest holder of U.S. debt. And they buy these treasuries, right? So if you bought a treasury, right, and you bought the 10-year treasury, you did the same $5,250 because you're scared of the stock market because every time it come on and me, you tell, oh, the stock market is dropping. You really don't know what that means. You just think it's bad, right? How many people know what it means when the stock market is dropping? I'm going to tell you. <laughs> Glad. So what's going on right now in the housing market? Is the housing market going up or down? Why? Demand. And that means there are what? There are more buyers than sellers. That's it. When the stock market is going down, that means there are more people selling than buying. So if tomorrow, and that's what happens with interest rates. If tomorrow interest rate went to, say, this is hypothetical, 8%, that will wipe out everybody trying to buy a house. Because now it's going to be too expensive. That's why the feds are trying to control inflation. But the market's not going down, but it means your company is going out of business. It's going down because of emotions. When people see stuff happening, they clench up. Oh my goodness, this is it. 2000, 1999. People went and took their money out of the market. Right? Y'all remember that? How many of y'all took y'all money? Anybody take their money out of the market? <laughs> How many people thought their debt was going to be erased? <laughs> So my point is, is that you will have, if you bought treasury because you're afraid of the stock market, you will have $496,000. Not bad. You know, $500,000. Now, if you live off 5%, don't want to touch your gross amount, you can live off, what, $25,000 a year. That's a good supplement if you get Social Security, right? Now, if that was the problem, if that was your issue, and you say, okay, I want three-month bills, three-month bills mature faster. The 10 years, you got to wait 10 years before it matures, right? To it's due for them to pay your money back. So what they do for those 10 years, they just pay you interest. They keep your money, but pay you interest every year, right? The six-point return, well, I didn't put it on here. It's like 6%. That's what it equates to, okay? Now, the three-month is about 4%, and that's going to be $346,000. Still good, though, right? That's a lot of money. When you're saving $400 a month, and you're making... a year. So what is the consistent theme here? Time and interest, right? So let's go to the next slide. So here's the slide with the percentages on here. And this is looking at if you had $100 back in 50 years ago, how much would it be worth now? And $100 would be worth in the S&P 500, $100 would be worth $10,000. If you invest $100 in S&P 500 in 50 years ago, which was, well, 1971. If you invested $100, it would be worth $10, right? Now, if you invest $100 in the 10-year bonds, it would be worth $2,000. If you invest $100 in three months, it would be $981. Now, here's the kick of gold. Everybody think gold is outpacing the S&P 500, but gold is not. Now, I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but, you know, people are talking about you need to take your money and put in gold. Well, gold is averaging for the last 50 years 735 so that would be worth about $3,000. So we see the stock market, it validates the first place you should invest your money. Now, could something happen to the stock market? Of course. Of course. So there are strategies we're going to talk about in part three where you don't put everything in the stock market because it's not if something's going to happen. It's when will something happen. So what's the biggest thing you have to have If something happens in the stock market, what's the one thing you need to have? 
You need, you need to have, what's that? I said, what's the one thing you need to have if the stock market drop? Say the stock market drop down 90%. Okay? Somebody say cash on their mattress. I don't know about that because you got cash in your mattress. Somebody coming to your house. <laughs> but cash is good. You need cash, right? Something that's fixed. Cash, right? You need savings. We got this three, six months, right? But that's part of it. But what do you really need? Huh? Faith. You need time. You need time. You need time to wait it out because you don't lose money until you sell in the market. So if something happens to the market and it drops, unless all the companies go out of business and everybody, there's no more UPS, there's no more Delta Airlines. The question is, if that happens, what would life be like if every company stock market went out of business? We're in chaos and money is not what you need. You need a Rambo. You need somebody who can live off a MacGyver. You need somebody who can live off the land at that point. Your money's not going to do you any good because now it's going to be, see, you understand what I'm saying? So that's how you look at the stock market. You have to use the strategy understanding when will I need the money, okay? And what am I investing in? So I have another slide here and it talks about people who didn't start 50 years and 30 years ago. They start now and they realize I need money 10 years from now. I may need my money. I want to retire 20 years from now. This slide right here gives you an example of market returns based on an average of 8% and what you can do starting now. And let me say that this is the part I really like to hone in on is that you start where you are. So, you know, you can invest $1,000 at 8% in 10 years, $1,000 a month, which is $12,000 a year. That's going to be worth $182,000. Now, $500 a month, if you have 20 years, be worth $294,000 if you did the stock market and if, and if the market did the same. I don't know. I'm going off historical data, but the market has pretty much stayed at 10%. We see a lot of growth in the economy, so we think it's going to be around 8 to 10%. I didn't do 10%, right? I did 8 right? If you had 30 years, you can go down. See how you can go down what's needed to have a return? You don't have to have. So the, the, the longer you wait to start, the more money now you have to put towards your retirement. In 30 years, $250 at 8% will give you $354,000. And if you have 40 years to retire, you could do $200,000. And it will give you $648,000. So I'm trying to give you guys a visual idea of why you're doing this and why you have to hate debt. Why you have to think about not the red bottom shoes or the brand new car. You think about paying yourself and then taking that money that you paid yourself and now working it instead of you working it. Because everything else is emotional. We see all the celebrities. We said, and this, let me tell you, to be real honest with you, managing your money is boring. But you have to think of a different way to find excitement other than material things. Because everybody who has material excitement, first of all, they're not guaranteed happiness. And see, we saw the incident earlier this week. You know, everybody talking about it. So, you know, Will Smith, he worth, you know, two or three hundred million dollars. But he's not happy. I mean, how, if you were $300 million, they're going to start talking right there, but they'd be, be <laughs> what you say? Let me, let me be that comment. Wait, let me be that comment. What, if you were $200 million, what now? If somebody say something to you, what? <laughs> she said, let me quote some people in computer lag in here. She said, if I was worth $200 million, can nobody say anything to me to make me react? Show of hands. Raise your hands if you feel that way. I got two people. I got two people who say that. <laughs> Let me explain something to you. Let me explain something to you. Let me explain something to you. To be honest with you, the more money you have, the more entitled you get. And generally speaking, not you. I'm just saying generally. The more sensitive, the more you need things to be perfect, the shorter your patience is. You ever seen rich people waiting? Right? So it's the opposite. Because if you're emotionally Without money, money only amplifies who you are. So what you see with Will Smith is you see a troubled guy who's in a situation where he's acting out of emotions. Now, what's driving that emotion? I don't know. Don't know. Don't care. Right. But if I'm Chris Rock and everybody talking about uh, he protecting her, I'm sitting back. And this is the problem when you when you when you hit somebody or you do something to somebody who has a very calculating and they are reasonable thinkers. They're not emotionally driven. He's taking his time. And all this time he's not talking, you better believe they're behind that working. So I'm going to ask you all another question. 
How many of y'all thought Chris Rock should have did something, first of all? Because it's good by money. How many of you say he should? Oh, come on now. Okay, how many of you all would have still that took that? I would. <laughs> I got what? You know what? <laughs> okay, she's the main one be she's been burger both french fries. Okay, but here's my point. Here's my point. Here's my point. Here's my point. Okay, here's our point. I understand people think, but it's hard to really say what you do in a situation. But the thing that's amazing to me is social media. Nobody in this place, because everybody here would have, they would have been just like Chris. But social media was going, I would, I would, I would, I. But if you ask a person, okay, I have a competition I'm sponsoring. I'm going to pay a person a million dollars to get slapped. How many people do you think raise their hand? Right. So Chris, by him not reacting, it's easy. He may get $20 million. You don't know what he's done. That slap would be the slap heard around the world. But most people, according to social media, would have lost their opportunity. Same thing with your investments. Most people lose this opportunity because we are driven by emotions. We got to keep up with somebody who don't even like us. You know, we worrying about walking in a room and I heard people talking about on the radio. He's talking about Hot 97.5. I don't listen to radio, but I was driving my son's car. And they were talking about women getting the BBLs. And the girl was talking about how special it is when she walks in and she goes to a gas station and people pumping my gas and blah, blah, blah. And now you, it's, it's just different. It's just different. She kept saying it's different. I said, yeah, yeah, it may be different, but, you know, let me see you at 55. They don't count the cost. You have to count the cost of present decision on future outcome. This is what this is. So what are the three things? Slide, please. I'm sorry. I need a clicker. I'm going to start snapping, Ted. <laughs> Instead, he gave me thumbs up. He threw a brick. <laughs> he threw something down here. Okay. What are three things you need to know before investing? I gave y'all one, which is most crucial. How much time before I need to use the money I invested? Right? I said why. Because when we start talking strategy, the closer you get to retirement, the less risk you're going to take. And we're going to explain how do you take less risk in the stock market. Okay. We'll talk about that later. Part two. The next thing is, what is my expected rate of return? Listen, if you're planning for your retirement, you have to say, okay, I need what amount of money to retire for. So what do they tell you? The general rule is you need 10 times your gross annual income. So if you're making $100,000 a year, you need at least a million dollars. Now, the good thing is when you retire, retirement today is not the same as it was 50 years ago or 20 years ago because people's bodies and minds are getting better. People, older people are doing better. So retirement does not mean that you stop working because when you start working, you actually die. You have to have something to do. People think, oh, man, I play golf every day. Trust me, trust me, you can't, do <laughs> you can't do that and your mind stay functioning, your body stay in good shape. Your body may be okay, but it's something about having a mission or passion that you're going to do. Money allows you to do what you want to do, but you got to do something, okay? So you need to understand what the expected return is by making out what you need. So let's say if I need a million dollars, right? And I got 30 years to retire. I know going in the market, at best, I'm going to get 10%. At worst, I'm going to get 5%. So the average is, I would, I would do mine at 7 or 6%. This is return, and I would determine, okay, how much do I need to save at a 7% interest rate, return on my investment, to get a million dollars? Okay? Now, like with me, I have a company called Granny Nannies. So Granny Nannies is doing good. So if you had a business, you can retire, but you just manage your business. You can put somebody in your place, and you live off the profits, Right? So that's a form. That's not the stock market, but that's still a form of income. So you do both, right? The next thing is you have to know how to calculate risk. And this is something really important versus return. Because one of the biggest things that people fail to do is calculate risk versus return. Because sometimes people like to put their eggs in one basket. And we saw this with a lot of those companies like MC, what was it? MC, the telephone company went out of business, WorldCom. Y'all remember them? Remember WorldCom? You had the company down in Birmingham, a big healthcare company that went out of business back in the 90s. Enron, right. People had 95% of that stock in company stock. And they were getting ready to retire. 
in five years. Now, if you're retiring in five years, in 10 years, you should be at a 40-60 split at the most. Meaning 6% of your money is in, in stocks, 40% in fixed. Those are bonds. Because that's guaranteed for the most part. They mostly insure you by high-quality bonds, right? You buy bonds from, we're going to get it, you buy from any market exchange. So if you're in a retirement, all retirement accounts, all RAs have, where you can buy bonds, you can buy equities, you can buy mutual funds. So we're going to talk about that. But you buy the same place you buy stocks. And you can get a bond mutual fund. And you don't have to worry about buying a single bond. They give you an array of different bonds. But the great thing about it is, for the most part, your money is it's not guaranteed, but it's close to guaranteed. But if you're so afraid, put it in cash. Put it in a money market. It's going to drop your return, but hey, it's there, right? Because what you need, you need the time. Because even if you put 40% in a fixed asset, we'll talk about when we get the strategies, at least if the 60% drop, you don't have to sell it. In hopes you can wait until it comes back. Now, we hadn't had a down market in the last, you know, 20 years, more than a year or two. I mean, the 2000 tech thing went like two or three years. But the last one in 2008, the market was back up the next year. 2009, the market was back up. So you were back where you were in 2008 and 2009. Okay? So you calculate risk. And what you don't want to get into is trying to switch the mechanics of the stock market to Vegas, like the crapshoot. Long term is what you want in the stock market. Short term don't do well. And some people do, but for average, it's going to be high risk because most people, just like some people get on a roll at a crap table. They keep rolling 7-11, 7-11, 7-11, and they can walk away with a lot of money, but that's not the average. And you want to be where most people have success, not where you got to be spectacular to have success. You understand? So you want to understand how to manage that by what? Not get into day trading. Not If you don't understand the stock market, don't worry about Buy a mutual fund. Buy ETF. All these things we're going to talk about. You can buy things where instead of you having one horse to ride all the way from here to California, it's back during the horse and buggy days, so y'all understand this, you got a stagecoach with six horses or seven horses. So if you're on one horse, that one horse dies, what are you doing? What you doing? If you got one horse and he dies, what are you doing? You're walking, right? If you got six horses and one dies, you got five left. That's what a mutual fund is, okay? So we're going to start with some basic terms that we're going to slide. <laughs> I can't snap my fingers. There you go. We're going to start with some basic terms that I'm going to go over. And these are terms that are for people that I want people to understand who have different situations. So some people work for companies and you have 401ks. If you're an independent person that work for yourself, you can have a SEP. It's a Simplified Employee Pension Individual Retirement Account for business owners with a simplified method of contributing towards employees' retirement. So if you have a small business, you can have that. Then you also get a simple IRA, which is a retirement plan for most business, small business with 100 or fewer employees. And the great thing about the SEPT is you can put up to $21,000 a year in it. So if you own your own business and you can't have a lot of employees, though, you got to be like a person who may be like a lawyer or, or a person who is a partner. You can be like a, a HVAC guy, but you, you're your own company. You can get a SEPT. Simple IRA account is for, again, small businesses. You get that. If you got 100 employees, you get that. And you can put up to, you know, $18,000, right? And that makes up for a lot of lost time, right? Now, another term is market capitalization. So market capitalization refers to how much a company is worth as determined by the stock market. Isn't that interesting? Not by profits. The stock market. It is defined as total market value of outstanding shares. To calculate a company's market cap, you multiply the number of outstanding shares by the current market value. So what does that mean? Sound like a bunch of gibberish, but real simple, okay? If one, two, three, four, we all are stockholders in the same company, right? And we all hold one share of stock. And guess how much that stock worth? $10. So you got $10, one share, you got one share, you got one share. So that's $40. So our market cap is $40. See how simple that is? So when you think of people like Tesla, right? 
Tesla doesn't have big profits. But what Tesla has, they have a lot of people who own shares of their stock and the price is real high. They just split, but it's real high. So that's why he's worth billions. The other guy. And they sell that stock and trade it for cash. They still hold. They have so much. So that's what market capitalization is. Index. An index is an indicator or measure of something. In finance, it typically refers to a statistical measure of change in the security market. In this case, financial markets, stocks, bonds, market indexes consist of a hypothetical portfolio of securities representing a particular market segment. So that's what a Dow Jones is. So the Dow Jones is a sector of construction, I think, or chemicals. Anything that's dealing with things that use to build stuff. And when you see the Dow Jones, that's what they're talking about. That group of stock is an index to tell you how this group of stock is doing in this particular sector. And a sector just means a type of businesses. Here it is right here. The Dow Jones Industrial Average. You see that? So that's what I'm saying. The Dow Jones is Industrial Average. So it's chemicals. It could be people make trucks. It's a stock market index that tracks 30 large public-owned blue-chip companies. That's it. 30 companies. All right? That's the Dow. So next time y'all hear the Dow is down, and you know, you're talking about 30 companies. So if you start buying stock and you say the Dow is down, you turn new, the Dow is down 10%. I want you to go, oh, Lord, my money. You know, because the media is designed to make you watch. Okay? Stock. Slide, please. Okay. <laughs> A stock. Stock is just ownership, man. That's all it is. Ownership. You are now owner. Stock market is a place where there's buying and selling. The housing market, buying and selling. The security, the stock exchange. She asked me, where can you buy bonds? A stock exchange is an organizational group which provides and maintains a marketplace of securities that can be traded. You know what that means? So the stock exchange is like a grocery store. See, the grocery store is a market, right? You're going to the grocery market. What's this change there? Money for groceries. Stock, same thing. Mutual funds. So this is one thing we will talk about because generally mutual funds have been really a great source of security and diversity and returns. You can get some great mutual funds that do really good and you're not dependent on one stock. So mutual funds are a type of financial vehicle made up of a pool of money collected from many investors to invest in securities like stocks, bonds, money markets and instruments. Because historically the stock market has gone up more years than it's gone down, the S&P 500 we talked about gained value in 40 of the last 50 years, generating an average annual return of 10.9%, despite the fact that only a handful of years actually came within a few percentage points of that average. So that means only a few years that it was close to 10%, the annual return. But it still averages that because you got some years that go up 40%. And that's the thing about trying to time the market. When you're in that day trade, you're trying to time the market. That's when you mess up. Because you may be in that 10 or 9, but then something happened and it drops. And what you going to do? Pull your money out. Then that same year, it goes up 40%, just like it did in 2020 this year. In March of 20, that's when the pandemic hit, right? 20. In March, the market dropped like 30%. And people, whoa. And, you know, we have advisors. They call, hey, how you doing? <laughs> yeah, how you doing? I said, I'm good, man. I said, as long as I don't see <laughs> somebody running up my street with some AR-14 and going anarchy, I'm good. Okay? ETF. Now, this is good because ETF is just like a mutual fund. But what's the difference? ETF is a basket of securities you buy or sell through a brokerage firm like stock. So it's a mutual fund, but the difference between a mutual fund and ETF, it acts just like a stock. So what does that mean? If you have a stock of Apple, and that day it was trading for, say, $45, and you decided to sell it, you sold it, somebody buy it for $45, you get $45. In a mutual fund, it's different. A mutual fund only settles at the end of the day. So when you try to sell a mutual fund, they calculate the value of all the shares they have in that fund, right? So we all mutual fund, right? We got one, two, three, four, five funds, right? I mean, five companies. We all work $10 a piece with $50, right? So that mutual fund, if I wanted to sell my mutual fund, I have to wait to the end of the day. I can't just sell like the stock. And then we add up how much all of our stocks are worth, which is $50. And then we take that and we subtract the expenses. 
and then we divide it up. So if the expenses were a dollar a piece, so that $50 now is $45, right? So you sell it, you sell, if you sold one share, it'd be 45 divided by five. So you get $9 instead of 10. See the difference? But it's never that high. It's never like 10%, you know. Mutual fund expenses normally like 1% to 2% of the value, and less than that sometimes. IRAs, that's individual retirement account, 401k. Um, everybody know what it is? That's a tax number, but it's an employee-sponsored account. So one of the things I want to leave you with is, for the next class, we're going to talk about how do you invest? This is more like why, but how? What should your strategy be to invest? It's all strategy is how you do something. And what I'm going to talk about, I'm going to go from a real simple format of like what Dave Ramsey says, which is very easy to do. Anybody can do it. So you go to your 401k, you don't have to think, what do I have to do? To people who say, okay, well, I want to get a way of maximizing. So how do I manage the risk to own individual stocks? Because sometimes you may have a situation where you have a stock options in your company. And that means your company is going to allow you to buy stock at a reduced rate that's sold on the market. Because you're a great employee. That's what happened to the people who had like shares in Home Depot. They were participating in the stock options and they were buying it. And when Home Depot was worth $10, they were buying it, you know, it's buying it, buying it, buying it, you know, including there were people who were working right next to them that bought a car. But as soon as Home Depot went public, one person got a car that's depreciating, the other person just became an instant millionaire. So I want you all to do. Three things. I want you to answer those three questions for next class. How much time do I need before I retire? Did I need to use my money? How much time do I have? The next thing I want you to ask yourself is what type of risk taker am I? What will keep me up at night? And the last thing I want you to ask is what is your risk of not investing? Meaning if you don't do anything about your individual retirement by saving money, how are you going to make it at 65 or older? What you going to do? That's a question you have to say, because see, I throw out big numbers because that's a part of motivation. But again, we don't know what's going to happen. And, you know, I was looking at social media and I saw a guy who's named Michael Beasley. He's a basketball player and he went pro. I think he played maybe one year in college and Michael went pro. and He played, I think, at least 10 years. He's on like 30 one or two now, so he paid, probably played 10, 12, 13 years in the league, probably made 100 million, 100 million. But he's on this talking about how he couldn't find help. Nobody told him what to do. Nobody told him. And he said, what do you do when you find out one day that everybody you know is stealing from you? Now, everybody talking about money and how they're going to be a wonderful person. This guy went from basically poverty to millionaire. His question was not about the money. His question about his relationship. Because he said, even my mama was stealing from me. And you can see the brokenness and hurt. And he did not look like his problem was solved. Look at him up. He's on podcast. Michael Beasley. And look it up and see why it's important for you to start now. Start now. Because Mike Tyson told a story of how when he was boxing, he made over three or four hundred million dollars in his career. He was sending his custom model's wife, he was sending her like twenty, fifty thousand dollars every, you know, just little money to him. Cause you know, he walked away with twenty million what he thought. But he sent twenty thousand, fifty thousand, hundred thousand dollars. And he was amazed when she saw him. All she was doing taking that thirty thousand and putting it in mutual funds. And he was amazed how much money she had amassed by him just throwing her a little some money. So I'm saying this to say that this investing is serious, but debt is worse because I'm talking about 7%. I'm talking about 7%. But do you know how much interest you pay on a credit card that you made $5,250? Who can tell me how much interest if you had a credit card? I'm not going to give you the highest rate. What's the highest rate credit card? 28%? How much? Okay, so we're going to say 22%. How much interest would you pay if you held a credit card balance for over a year at five years. You bought a little something. You went on a trip, $1,000. You bought some clothes, $1,000. You bought this, this. $5,000 you maintain, you're making a minimum payment, right? 
stay around five thousand. How much interest do you think you paid in one year? You might care to take a shot. I got three hundred. How many of y'all agree with that? Ah, uh, uh, I want to hear. <laughs> take his phone out. Uh, uh. Just guess. Just think. How much would be fair? Yeah, you maintain five thousand. Twenty-two percent, not the highest. Yeah, that's quite two. Your interest will be a thousand dollars on five thousand dollars. And I took that same thing. And I said, "What have you kept that for thirty years? Twenty-nine thousand dollars. You pay the interest. So that's where your money is going when you're trying to make that hundred and fifty-seven thousand. See that guy? He ain't having a debt. So his thirty-five thousand dollars. He didn't have a need for a car because he may say, well, look, I'm going to just catch the bus. And there were people who used to do that. And see, we always talk about reparations. We want reparations. You got it in a small amount, but they call it stimulus. You know why they call it stimulus? Why do they call it money they give to everybody? Stimulus. What are they stimulating? How? What? They know people. Now, they would not do that if they thought you was going to save that money. It's stimulus because you're going to stimulate. And so if they did reparations, all it's going to do is stimulate the rich people. There's a new stimulus program because the same thing you saw with the stimulus money. Because some people got up to $20,000 if you had a small business. $20,000. And you should have seen Saks, Gucci. I mean, the line was out the door. The line was out the door. And those people had a chance at that point to say, I'm going to get out of debt. I'm going to take this money, I'm going to buy a mutual fund. Last year, that year, the market did almost 16%. So if you had taken that $20,000 and put it in the bank, you'd have earned almost $3,000 on that $20,000. You see what I'm saying? You have to know what to do. And like I say, you don't know. It may happen again. But my point is, is that start now, take this serious, you know, ask yourself those three questions, right? And if you have fears, Embrace them. But you can still save money and pay yourself. I can show you the treasury. You buy the treasury. At least you have, instead of having a million, you have $300,000 or $400,000 if you did the 10-year treasury. Any questions? Uh-huh. 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 Okay, what is that called? What's she doing? What I time to market. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this question. What did I say today? Where are you actually buying when you buy stock? Uh uh-uh, uh, you're buying the company. You're buying the company. So do you believe in those companies? That's the question. Do you believe in the companies? You do believe in them. Right. Okay. So you believe in the companies. So that's the first thing. She believes in the companies. She thinks they're good companies. If they're good companies, now when do you need the money? She don't want to lose. Okay. That's the risk. That's the risk. That's the risk. So let me ask you this. The only time you would lose if you had to sell it. You want to say that? She understood. So let's just say... Next month, right, Tesla drops 20% because Elon Musk got on, on social media and said something crazy. And it dropped 20%. So let's just say you had $5,000, now it's worth 4000 Do you think people are going to stop buying Tesla? Do you think all his stuff is going to change because of that? See, the market is built off emotions. It does not track the actual value of the company. It's emotional. Emotional means there are external forces that can make it go up and down. What you have to do is you have to say, well, I want to take my gains, right? So if I got to sleep at night. Peace is the most important thing. So why don't you do this? Why don't you take your gains? Okay, so if you bought Tesla, you paid a thousand, you went up to two thousand. Take a thousand out, put it in a money market or something, you know, and let the thousand that you had rise. Worst case scenario you still have what you put in. You understand? And if it goes up, it wouldn't have gone up as much as if you left a thousand in, but you would also participate in some of the gains. Would you be happy with that? Yeah. 
Man, you know how much money I got in the market? <laughs> Listen, I don't lose sleep over the market. I only lose sleep if my companies go out of business. I don't even watch the market. I don't trade because I pay people to trade. Now, I do reports and I go and track performance, but I'm not watching the market every day. I don't. I don't. I do not. Because the companies, what I pay people for is to buy good companies. Because at the end of the day, I know it's going to go up and down. And you should have enough cash. You see, what you experience is emotional. She said, I don't want to lose. And that's based off how you grew up, what you witnessed in your early years. It forms your personality about money. You may have saw somebody who had it and lost it. And he said, oh, that just, oh, just hurt me. And I'm not saying that can't happen, but I'm saying if you start this way, you participate both ways. You won't lose as much if it went down, but if you didn't sell, you wouldn't lose anyway. Now, also, how long have you held the stock? Have you held it for a year? Did you hold it? Did you buy and hold it for over a year? How, how many years? Two? Okay, good. Well, any money you take out is going to be considered capital gains if it's more than you pay for it. So you're going to have to pay 20% tax on that. But that'll make you sleep better, right? Now, now, if it goes up and you start looking at how much you would have made had you left it in, how you feel then? <laughs> That's good. She said she'd feel the same. <laughs> hey, oh, she feels sad. All right, right, what I'm saying, but it's sad. You said she, okay, so you feel sad if you missed out, but you feel mad if you lost it. So sad and mad. Is that it? <laughs> but that's the best thing, though. I'd rather you be sad than mad. You know, sad, you can get over that. You know, he can, he can take you out to dinner. <laughs> Keep beside him. Mad, it's hard to deal with mad. <laughs> it's hard to deal with mad. But my point is, that's the emotion. That's why I talk about strategy. You have to know your risk tolerance. And you just heard yours. So what I would do also is, how about this? So you bought individual stocks, right? So why don't you go and look at a mutual fund? So you, with your individual stocks, you got single horses. So you just ride with Tesla. You can take that and put it in a mutual fund. Now you have Tesla, you may have some Google, you may have some all these different other companies. So that's called diversification. So if Tesla dropped, maybe Google went up or maybe you got healthcare and Pfizer's in there. So take the money and you don't have to necessarily put it, but get you with, we're going to talk about the different mutual funds, but the mutual fund you'll be interested in is growth and income because those are your big companies that pay dividends. So the great thing about when you buy a mutual fund also is you get dividend payment at the end of the year and all the dividends of the companies that they have, they pay you a portion of it. So it won't go up and down as fast. But you're going to get a dividend check at the end of the first of the year. And that looks good. I used to have a fund called the Janus Fund. I still have it. I used to love to see those dividends because I had about $10,000. And sometimes it'd be like five, $600. And it had already gone up maybe 10%. That was great. That was when I first started. So you can do that. You can diversify by getting a mutual fund. So you can still own Tesla, but now you own Tesla with other companies. So you take that money out, put it in a mutual fund. And now your mutual fund is not going to go down that far. It's... Yeah. Yeah. Now, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Is it in an individual retirement, any type of individual retirement account? Okay. So, one retirement account I didn't talk about is called a Roth. And a Roth is an individual retirement account, just like I said. But the great thing about the Roth is when you put money in a Roth, you can't take it out until you're 59, right? But it grows. You put money you pay taxes on, but it grows tax free. So that's good. That, so that's all that. So that, yes. What if you're 58? Can you still put the money in and grow? Yeah, yeah. You, you can put the money in up to 70, I think it is. Okay. Now, next question. All right. Let's say you got $100 and you invested into a S&P. Just, I'm just using this number for easy calculation. And I guess the average S&P is about 10% years. That that's what it's been over the last 40 years. Okay. So 
if that hundred dollars gained ten percent annual, uh-huh. that means in ten years that hundred dollars will come to two hundred, unless you do the. I know it'll be more because it'll be compounded. Right. But let's just say it ain't just for easy calculation. Uh-huh. So we got two hundred dollars at the end of that ten years, uh-huh. which means that your money doubled. Right. Now, in order to take money out, uh, you're saying you have to pay a twenty percent uh, capital gains tax. So that would be twenty percent off of that one hundred. Correct. Since well, you take it out. Right. Now, let's say you got to that and you wanted to take money out, and it's ten years later. And let's say you wanted to take a hundred dollars out. Now. Will that hundred dollars be that hundred you put you already have put in? Okay. Or do they how do you calculate that? You okay. I mean? So are you talking about in a Roth? No, not in a Roth. Okay, so let me explain something to you what you're saying. So had you put it in a Roth, right? Right? Okay. When you take that money out in ten years, you pay no taxes. Right. But if it's not But if Roth, it's not in a Roth, you pay capital gains, you're gonna pay on Sam either way you go. Okay, so when you pay the capital gains you pay it on whatever you take out. Not to mention it now. Right. Uh, you only take out what you cash out. What's in there that you don't sell is not taxed. Right. But whatever you take out, whatever you withdraw and sell, when you sell, that's when money's made or lost. Okay. Everything else is a paper loss. See, if you bought... Even if that, if half of that 200 was not capital gains, it was... It was no, you're only, you only going to pay capital gains. If it's higher than it was before, the shares have grown... That's the capital gains, right? Yeah. So whatever you take out, it's going to be taxed at capital gains tax. Now, if you wait and it drops below what you paid for, then then you got a write-off. So if you lose money, it's a loss against earnings. So let's just say you had two stocks, right? Right, same thing, right? One stock you made $100, one stock you lost $50, right? Right? So you decide to sell the stock that you lost money, right? Mm-hmm. Which was $50. And then you want to take 100 out of that $200. Well, you only pay capital gains on $50. Right, okay. So, so it works that way. It's but, co- you don't, but you don't lose. Unless, like I said, in that same scenario, yeah. you got $100, then you make $100, uh-huh. and at the end of that 10 years, you want to take out, uh-huh. you want to take out $100, uh-huh. but you only made $100, you had 100 that you invested in. Yeah. So do they take that capital gains out of what you gain first and then leave that other hundred in there? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. But see, what my point is you're only going to pay, it depends on how much you take out. If you take out the whole 200, you're going to pay capital gains. On 100. Uh-uh. If you take out the whole 200, the capital gains is on the difference of what you paid in. And put, it's always the difference. Right. It's never the whole amount. It's the difference. The capital gains is what it said. It's the gain. Mm-hmm. You gained $100. So if you took out the whole two hundred, you're gonna pay capital gains twenty percent on a hundred dollars. Right. So what if you took out a hundred? Then what would capital? <laughs> <laughs> you gonna pay capital gains, but you still got a hundred in there. So right. if that grow again to another hundred, you take it out. It's capital gains on that. You see what I'm saying? So they won't take out the capital gains when that first hundred you take out because until you take it out. Until you take out that second hundred. Right. Okay. So the, whatever you take out, you pay capital gains on if the stock is up. And they have a way, they have a way they determine what's the capital gains amount. You understand? So answer your question, yeah, you do pay capital gains. And paying capital gains, if you want to avoid taxes, I would say if you're 58, I would do a Roth. If I'm 50 old, you can do 6,500 in a Roth. If I'm 65, I mean, if I'm in my 50s, I'm maxing out my Roth because that's tax-free. And that's your biggest expense because even in individual retirement accounts, you have to pay tax on everything you take out. Now, it's tax-free for providing it stays in there 10 years. For the Roth? Yes. It's tax-free at the time you turn the age to take it out. Okay, okay. Not how many years. Oh, okay. If you take it out that tax-free age limit of 59, 60, then that's it. Okay. And if you don't make it to that and take it out, you still got to pay 10, 20%, right? If you take out money before, you got to pay taxes on it and penalties. Wait, yeah, and capital gains. You're paying capital gains, though. So, yeah, that's a good question. But the goal is avoiding taxes would be an expense, right? But at the same time, the best way to do that is to use those tax-free tools like the Roth. Because to be honest with you, you want your Roth high because if everything is in your 401k and you start taking money out, you're going to be paying taxes. That's income taxes, which is wherever your tax bracket is. 
So that could be, it went from 28% all the way up to 39%. So that made that 20% look pretty good, right? (laughs) Huh? Yeah, you can. You can. But you have to pay taxes on when you roll in. Yeah, you can. Yeah, that's called backdoor. It's a backdoor thing. Because if you make over $150,000, you can't buy a raw. Any other questions? All right, so everybody ready for the second half? The strategies? <laughs> Congratulations. That's good. And see, again, that's saving that money. I get excited about saving money. And I get excited about money growing, but not as much as saving. Because just like you, my first goal was not to lose money, right? So my priorities in my investment strategy is preservation, income, and growth. So when I say that, I'm not going to take a whole lot of risk on stuff. Like I'm not going to go and buy a bunch of upstarts or I'm not going to buy. So I have like a strategy for value. So we're going to talk about value strategies. When you buy companies like who's a value shopper who like to go and see stuff on sale. Everybody, right? See right now, nothing's on sale. Everything like regular price. (laughs) That's why I ain't bought now. I ain't bought no car. You know, you can't buy a car now. You paying regular price. You bought a car right now. And people say, well, you know, but I'm a value. So I like to buy things that are below value for less and then let them come up. And you have stocks you can buy like that. There are companies that are sold less because it's emotional. Do you know that a lot of value advisors are doing well because when the pandemic hit, right, the rental cars all over in trouble, right? And their stock dropped. So if you bought Hertz, it would down to like $10, $8. Back in the start, middle of the pandemic, like 2020, when did it start? 2020, 2019? 2020. So my partner did. She bought Hertz. And then I heard she paid like $8, $9. And that's like $48, $50. Yeah, Hertz had to deplete all their stock because nobody was traveling. So they had to sell. They, those cars are leased. So they sold all those cars. Now you go rent a car, it's $100. You know why? Because they got to buy all new cars. They don't have any cars. That's why they didn't have cars for a long time. But... Unless you thought Hearst was going out of business, if you sold, you missed out on the $48. <laughs> she understand that? <laughs> okay. So I think the best thing to do is diversification. We talk about that strategy, which is mutual funds. You know, don't ride the one horse, but still participate. And I do agree. Also know when you need the money. Because to be honest with you, you don't know what Tesla's going to do. Because if they open up Mars, your stock will go through the roof again. Because we are headed to what's called a transformational economy. I talked about this in one of my classes before. So in 10 years, nothing is going to be like this. Like, it's going to be so different. Now, I can't tell you what the metaverse and all that is, but I can tell you it's not going to be a lot of gas stations. Everything going to be electrical. This guy, he comes through Kentucky, you know, and he'll say, I'm telling you all, he works for Honda, and he'll say, he's telling you all, you all young in here, you all in the next 10 years, yeah. Well, I mean, well, I don't know about investing in electric cars, but I know car companies will make the transition. See, one thing about Tesla, he hadn't had any real competition. But you know, all the Ford's cars are going to be electric in five years. So when competition starts, it's going to be a whole different thing. So I don't know how it's going to do then. I mean, these car companies, they're not going to just roll over. So Ford, you know, see Porsche, huh? No, I know General Motors, Ford General Motors are all be totally electric in five years. I think it was five years. Man. So, so what the metaverse is, what you have to understand is when you look at young people, see the metaverse is not targeted to you. You think you're young, but it's really young people are... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> 18 to 25. And what they're doing is, to me, this is my personal opinion when I learned, the metaverse will be an ability to live in an illusional world that's not physical. So they're not only making the metaverse on the computer, but now with all the equipment that tied to your brain senses and your physical senses, you will actually be able to live inside the metaverse. So let's just take this room right here. So what if... And it's almost like the Matrix, though. But what if 
we say, okay, they're going to take this building and we're going to change this building into one, two, three. All these people will be people where people live. And what you would do, you have a little box. <laughs> you know, you said, I don't know if you see in Japan, some people live in these little drawers, right? So you come home and you eat dinner, right? And then you go into your box and you put your thing over your face. And now when you wake up, when you go into the metaverse, now you live in a mansion and you have all these senses all over your body. You have a suit on. And when you go and you feel you got a pool, you put your foot in the pool, you feel the water. So that's what the metaverse is really. It's really going to be almost, they make movies about it. But to me, it allows people to have a virtual world. And why do you need a virtual world? To escape the real world. <laughs> so... Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's it. The, the only thing missing is you don't feel it. Right. But wait till they get it when dude dribble by you, feel sweat get on your arms and stuff. And it's the first version of it. So you got to realize the thing that's really scary is the whole AI learning curve. So the AI learning curve right now is traveling like this with, with humans. But it's going to get to a point where the curve goes straight up. And, 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 and AI is artificial intelligence. It's going to be like 100,000 times smarter than humans. So all this thing about the stimulus to me is getting people prepared because... Once AI really develops, it's another 10, 15 years, 20 years max. You won't need accountants. You won't need doctors because a doctor, he has to remember, you know, what symptoms are. and what, That's what they go to school for. AI will be able to examine you and tell you everything's wrong. But the interesting part about it is, to me, it's a growth economy because of all the new things and all the changes. Now, you're talking about in Atlanta. Why is Atlanta growing and why housing is so bad in Atlanta? Well, there's a huge displacement going on right now. It's almost like when in the early 30s or 40s, if you were in the South, it's the same thing happened. Migration going, everybody going up to the factories, right? So in some places like New York, it's a mass exodus. It's a mass exodus from L.A. And they come to Atlanta and houses are, it's high for us, but they cheap to them. Because they were paying $6,000 for a 500-square-foot apartment a month in Manhattan. Maybe not six, but maybe, but you know, for a 1,000-square-foot apartment, they're paying five, dollars $6,000. You come down here, you get a $300,000 house, and it's got backyard. You're like, what? <laughs> so it's just, it's just, you know, Atlanta is growing, but they're not more people. That's not what's going on. It's not like we got more people. It's just more people come and live here. And there are more buyers than sellers. So, you know, that's, that's what it is. All right. Say so anything else? All right. All right. So, thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> so, I'll see y'all next month. We'll talk strategy. And then on the last class, we have a special guest. And we're going to do estate planning. That'll be the last thing. All right. You are listening to brothersoftheword.com. This was session four of the Render My Money 2022 series by Gerald Render. This message is number 4541. That's 4541. To listen to thousands of free messages or to send this message number 4541 to a friend, go to brothersoftheword.com. If this message has been a blessing to you and you would like to help support this ministry, go to IWantToGive.com. That's IWantToGive.com. Listen to BrothersOfTheWord.com often because, brother, you need the Word.